Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, joined as always by Don Pizzette. Don, how are you doing today? I am doing great. We had a real exciting week with the launch of Windows 11 last week and uh, all sorts of other new activities. So we got some great news articles and a phenomenal guest that I'm excited to get to. Very good. And we're also joined by Daniel Lowry. Daniel, how's it going there in the dark? It goes well, sir. Yes, thank you. I am in the dark, right? It does <laughs> Always keeping a little level of anonymity. Well, you know, it's the, it's the haggard thing, right? I can't wear a hoodie and so... Yeah, it would be a little too cliche. Yeah, not, not in Florida, at least. <laughs> All right, and we are joined today by a special guest as well. We have Ramesh Kesanupali joining us. And Ramesh, on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, how well did I do on your name there? <laughs> well, you did very well. And I'm also, this is the first time I'm attending a forum like this. Kind of enjoy how you guys are getting started. Yeah, we'd like like to keep it a little casual and uh, and kind of you know get to know uh, you guys and learn a little bit about your business and uh, and also have some fun at the same time. So let's go ahead and uh, and jump in with our first segment today, which is rapid fire questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, Ramesh, in this segment, what we're going to do is rapidly fire questions at you. We'll rotate through each of us as we ask a couple of things. You'll have approximately one minute to answer each question. If you take too long, Peter will buzz you like that. We'll move on to the next one. You'll see a timer appear off on the left side of your screen, and we're going to kick things off with a question from Peter. Yeah, no, no pressure at all. All right, so Ramesh, you're the co-founder of the ADI Association, which stands for the Accountable Digital Identity Association. So can you tell us just kind of briefly, what is the association's goal? Association's goal actually is to standardize a global digital identity framework. And uh, we have published the first version of the specification just last month, and first week of August. Now we are working on the second version of the specification. We want to make sure that this specification uh, will become the standard for, um, uh, framework will become the standard for the global digital identity. So our goal is to make sure we take it to the next level and uh, we want everybody who want to embrace this, they can take it and then implement this one to be part of a broader global digital identity framework. Now, the uh, the ADI, that's that's an association. And then there's also the Digital Trust Networks, which is is kind of a part of that. Is that a separate company or what, what is that relationship? So Accountable Digital Identity Association is a nonprofit organization which focuses on actually defining the specification of the framework. And then they actually put the specification work out, working with a group of companies like CVS, Zumio, Hitachi, um, uh, Rayon Secure, Digital Trust Networks, Digital Asset, IDMIA, Early Warning Systems. So there are a close group of companies. If you go to uh, digitalidentityadiassociation.org, you will see the companies there. All of them work together uh, and then actually advance and define and advance the specification. That's a nonprofit organization. Digital Trust Networks is a commercial company which actually implements that specification. We happen to be the first implementer of that. As we are going, we expect that there are other people who will implement uh, such an interface, I mean, such a uh, framework and service, and uh, they will be able to stand up the service. So Digital Trust Networks is a commercial company. 
ADI Association is a non-profit organization. I founded both of them, uh, but they both are two separate entities. Awesome. We actually uh, did a little, you know, snooping around, checking you guys out. We noticed that you were in stealth mode at this moment in time, and we were just wondering what kind of is going on with you uh, while you're in that mode, and when do you expect to go to market? So we are in stealth mode because we are um, obviously specification just was announced. Uh, August of this year. And while we are developing the specification, we were actually implementing the specification through digital trust network. And we are in uh, a couple of pilots with a major pharmacy, um, which is part of digital trust media, I mean, which is part of ADA association. We are expected to go uh, live with our uh, website and more open um, probably by end of this year. Oh, fantastic. All right. So I, I'm curious, you know, doing a little research on identity management, it seems like one of the the big industries that this could have an impact on is is healthcare. So is that something uh, that, that you agree with? And, and what areas do you see it, it helping with? I, I, like, for example, insurance fraud or, or, or those kinds of things? Yeah. So digital identity has become a major problem now. Uh, COVID and, and the kind of what environment that we have has expedited the need for having a right digital identity for people. And particularly in the healthcare space and financial markets, there is a um, severe need for a, a stronger digital identity. On the financial side, you have actual fraud. On the healthcare side, by nature, our healthcare information is spread across multiple sources. And that information has a lot of regulations that are composed with respect to privacy and user um, uh, ownership and data ownership. And for us to be able to provide easy way to access for the consumers and be able to share the data, you need to have a stronger identity. And that's why with respect to insurance fraud, healthcare fraud, such an, having such a strong identity is very, very critical. And ADI actually solves the problem very elegantly without actually bringing data from various sources and consolidating in one plus and becoming a data you know, honeypot after that. ADI promotes let the data stays where it is, but provide the user ability to share data with complete privacy protection. And it, it's so answer the question. Yeah, definitely, and, and I know I know uh, we're a little over time on that, but I, I, I want to dig into one more part there. You had mentioned that the uh, the opioid crisis could actually, uh, you know, be be helped by this. How, how would that work? So, if you see the opioid crisis, for instance, the people will go to a state and then um, say that they are in pain, get a medication, and then go to the next state and say they claim the uh, they have the same pain, and other doctor also, other provider also will actually give the same medication. Right now, there is no ability to connect these two. And then now people are getting extra doses. So if we actually make some opioid crisis or something, I mean, the, some you know, this prescription substance, I mean, drug uh, uh, usage, issuance tied to digital address that is global, that is tied to the user, if you go to one state, if digital address is the only way you are going to get the controlled substance, and that the digital address now will have the information that you have taken from Florida, 
When next you go to Atlanta and try to get the same thing, if the only way you can get the substance is through uh, the digital address, the moment the other pharmacy sees that your digital address, they will know that you got the medication this month, about 60 tablets from uh, Florida, and they can immediately refuse. No, you, you already got your dose. And you will be able to control that more uh, um, uh, nicely uh, and you know address the problem that you're having. And similarly with uh, Medicare, Medicare fraud too, too, by the time, by the way, you have a lot of sure. Medicare, Medicare fraud that's going on that also can be controlled by having right kind of digital identity for patients. Definitely. And there's a lot of cost that goes into yeah. uh, protecting against those things. And we Yeah, I was just thinking this might actually reduce the cost of like insurance and things of that nature sure. because you won't have to worry about whether or not someone's trying to defraud them. Because I'm sure, yeah, they're factoring in a portion of that <laughs> yeah. budget for fraud. And, right. and so if you can remove that, that, that savings that I laughably would get passed on to the consumer, but probably would just go into the pockets <laughs> of the insurance companies, but still, it's savings nonetheless. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, I wanted to continue this conversation uh, about uh, digital identity, and so let's let's take a look at, uh, there's a blog post uh, on the adiaassociation.org website, uh, and the, the headline is, Bringing Privacy, Security, and Accountability to Our Digital Lives, the Power of the Digital Address. And so uh, just want to get into the technology a little bit on this as well, uh, and then we can kind of have a discussion. So, so is this built on on blockchain technology yes it is built on blockchain technology it also has an off ledger uh, component to it and uh, and blockchain we use actually to provide the necessary metadata of user uh, identity and user credentials and then provide links to where the data is so you know uh, that way you directly get the uh, um, references to the data directly from the sources where there is. And we use blockchain for that. Now, under a system like this, would people generally have like one identity that was used for everything? Or would there be like multiple identities? I have an identity for voter registration, an identity for driver's license. Like, would it be purpose-driven like that or, or just general? It is actually, we would encourage you to have only one identity to make your life easier and also provide the uh, necessary accountability that is required. And uh, the specification as it's justified, within a given region, you will have one identity. Like for instance, if I have two passports here, a US passport and Indian passport, I will be in, in a social security number here and another identity in India, I will be allowed to have two different digital addresses. How would you address the security concerns such as if my digital identity was in some way compromised and someone was able to gain access to it, that they now have the ability to impersonate me throughout the entirety of my life instead of being compartmentalized, having you know multiple different identities? What would you guys do to, to help alleviate that? So that actually is addressed with the way we actually create a digital address for you uh, on board you. We actually designed the system in a way uh, with the thinking that we need to bring digital world as close to real world as possible. The digital address, the way you create, is almost like creating a, a digital birth certificate for you. It's a digital cryptographic representation of you that can be only created for the attributes that can personally and uniquely define you or identify you. Like for instance, Ramesh Kasanupalli with my date of birth and my social security number uniquely identifies me. And we use those attributes actually to create 
a cryptographic representation, a long key that no that cannot be you know produced by um, produced for somebody else. And the way you produce that also is not produced by anybody else, but with trusted places like your place of employment or college that you're going to, bank that you have account with, a DMV, a passport office. So we have accredited issuers who can actually create that identity for you. And they create that identity by taking your attributes only, those things can be created only for you and they deliver it to you in a secure fashion because they already know you. So we have checks and balances at every place on how you get that birth certificate. I mean, digital address. So, so I know a little bit later in the news, we're going to be talking about two-factor authentication and some changes there and some some biometric stuff as well. Is that tied in with this as well? Because obviously, you know, there could be two people with the same name and, and birth date. You know, there, there are those cases, but how do I know which, which one is which and, and verify that person? So is there like a, a fingerprint? Yes, uh, yes we have. Uh, you can actually progressively build your uh, identity. We can start with first name, last name, date of birth. If I want to get the higher assurance level, then I add social security number to that. Once I add social security number that, within this region of United States, I will be unique. There will be two John Smiths who are whose twins born on the same date in the same location. But when they register to government, they will get two social security numbers. And that provides the uniqueness for that individual. We use that to bootstrap the user. How about key security? What are we doing for key security? We use FIDO. Uh, by the way, that multi-factor authentication, other thing that you're talking about, the FIDO Alliance was also started by me. I, I founded FIDO Alliance also, which eliminates the password. We actually use FIDO to make sure we, uh, we use the keys that are bound to your biometrics on the device that you're using to access the online account. So, you know, (laughs) I'm thinking back to like when, you know, when when I was born, uh, I was given a social security number. I don't remember (laughs) it specifically, but I have the paperwork to prove it happened. So um, I was issued a social security number by the U.S. government, right? So that was my identity number. And when I would go to the DMV, like the first time I got a driver's license when I turned 16, you walk up to the counter and they say... What's your social security number, right? When I enrolled in college, they just used social security number. They used it for everything, right? And then all of a sudden they realized that's a really bad idea. And so they all stopped using social security number. They started issuing different identifier numbers, right? Because there were just a number of problems with it. This, like the the way it's described, sounds kind of like we, we get that that one identity back, but done in a far more secure manner. So if I go to work somewhere, they're not having to generate a new identity for me. I've already got my identity I bring with me. We use that. I'm authorized to perform actions. If I'm terminated, they remove the authorization. Uh, Ramesh, would you say that's a fair description of of how this would be used? Absolutely. The thing is, the bottom line here is in the digital world, now we are at a place where there is no real world anymore. Our digital world is a real world. If we don't bring the accountability, if we don't know who the person is, we won't be able to help, you know, hold them accountable. Till now, every fraud that we have seen in the digital world is actually financial, it's short-term, and it is part and part of the ecosystem. If there is a financial fraud, I will call my bank and tell them that somebody stole my 
uh, um, money and I get credited back because it is built into the ecosystem. Last four or five years, the fraud that we are seeing in the digital world, anarchy that we are seeing in the digital world is about disinformation and misinformation. And people are putting the information there because they won't be able to be tracked. There is no accountability. That is what is now we are in a place where it's not financial headache anymore. It's societal damage. Well, if this means when I go to the doctor's office, a new doctor, I don't have to fill out 27 uh, forms each time. I can just <laughs> give them that one number, and that's yeah. great. I'm, I'm all on board. Yeah, sold. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I mentioned the, uh, the association is adiaassociation.org. Um, the uh, Digital Trust Networks is digitaltrust.net. And, and Daniel asked earlier, and we talked about stealth mode. What, uh, so can people go to the website for updates when, when this comes out? Is, there, is that where you're going to kind of... Uh, launch officially? Uh, ADIassociation.org is a website that has been up and running. Digital Trust Networks, uh, digitaltrust.net is going to be up probably within the next uh, 45 to 60 days. Fantastic. And and you have a speaking event coming up as well, right? Yes. I will be speaking at a FIDO Authenticate Conference next week in Seattle. Oh, fantastic. Very nice. I didn't know. We, we had a conference in, in Seattle that was cancel them <laughs> glad you're able to continue to do yours that's fantastic uh what, what what's the topic you're speaking on uh it's about accountable digital identity that makes sense because you seem to know a lot Seems. about that yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be about dishwashing liquids but <laughs> all right that makes right. more sense you're right dumb question dumb question you're right all right. Well, uh, Ramesh, we want to thank you so much for, for coming on and taking the time. I know, uh, you know, when, when Don saw uh, who we were talking to today, he was telling us all about about FIDO Network and, and how, how cool that is and, and the history there. So that was really neat to get to uh, talk to the person that, that started it all. So we appreciate you taking the time with us today. Absolutely. I appreciate giving this opportunity and FIDO where it is today. But what ADA Association is trying to do is way more difficult than FIDO. But this is thousand times more impactful. Definitely. This actually brings some sanity into where we are. I like it. It's something we could use right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thank you for taking the time with us today. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and look at some of the news uh, from this week on TechNATO with Don Pizet. So stay with us. This is Josh. Josh spent $2,500 on a week of classroom training for CompTIA A+, and got certified. Josh got a good job that pays $40,000 per year. This is Jeremy. Jeremy only spent $299 on a full year of training from IT Pro TV, including A+, and 300 other courses. Jeremy also got a great job that pays $40,000 per year. Jeremy used the more than $2,200 he saved on IT training for a fabulous tropical vacation. Now Jeremy is still using his IT Pro TV membership to study for Network Plus and Security Plus to advance his career, but not spending any more money. Since all three are in included in his IT Pro TV membership plus 300 more courses. Don't be like Josh. Choose IT Pro TV for your IT training. All right, welcome back to TechNATO with Don Pizet. Thank you so much to Ramesh for joining us and uh, really enlightening me at least about identity and digital identity. A lot of stuff he, I didn't know. He's kind of a bit of a brush with celebrity for us yeah, mm -hmm. as the, the founder of the FIDO Alliance because yeah. I, I use 
technologies that are part of the FIDO Alliance every single day. So yeah. pretty, pretty cool. One of those we're going to actually talk about in a little bit in the news. But uh, our first article is actually from Tom'sHardware.com. Benchmark, benchmarked. Excuse me, I can't even say that word. Do Windows 11's security features really hobble gaming performance? Well, that's a they? feature. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, it's made by parents. Yeah, <laughs> made, by made by parents, parents and girlfriends everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, well. A side note: every time I see the word "hobble," I can't help but think of the movie "Misery." misery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So oh, we're yeah. on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course, <laughs> the children out there are going, "What the heck?" Are so they I'm just saying, about? don't move Bill Gates's penguin no, because then, don't. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyhow, the whole point of this, uh, you might have noticed that Windows 11 launched last week, and maybe you were one of the intrepid few, not few, really millions, that all installed and upgraded to Windows 11 last week. I know I did. Uh, there have been a number of news articles that have come out with people saying that Windows 11 is slaughtering their gaming performance and that their computers are running significantly slower under Windows 11 than they did under Windows 10. So the uh, the general cry is stay on Windows 10 if you're a gamer. Well, the folks over at Tom's Hardware and Pharonix and a few other different websites all went to do the benchmarking to find out the reality of it. And uh, like many things, there is some truth to it, but there is a lot of uh, exaggeration going on. So what they found was that there are a few security features that are enabled in Windows 11 that make the operating system more secure. And the trade-off is that you take a 4 to 5% hit in performance. Now, 4 to 5% is not that great. Uh, when you think about it, like when the Spectre and Meltdown mitigations came out, they were as much as 4D%, which yeah. is a huge amount. Uh, but 4 or 5% for a home computer that's likely not susceptible to some of the vulnerabilities that are being protected is a little bit of a waste. So there is some reality to it, but it's not as great as many people are saying. The only people who really have a, a true bone to pick here are some AMD CPUs. There's a bug that's affecting them, causing a slowdown of up to 15% performance. That's a pretty big hit. AMD is working with Microsoft right now to fix that. So we should see a patch in the near future. So I'm sure this article wasn't just written by somebody who got their nose cleaned on Steam or something. <laughs> <laughs> just bitching about it. That's right. Just, it was Windows. That's what it was. Dude, they're getting Sneaking strong Windows 11 and, yeah. made me slow. <laughs> is, this, is this something that a user could turn off some of these features if they wanted to? Uh, not really. So you know, some of it you can turn off, but then Windows starts going into the weird unprotected mode and you don't necessarily get updates. Oh, and you mean you, the fun mode? Yeah, you generally don't want <laughs> to do that so uh you know it's it's one of those where if you're really concerned about this like if you are if you're paying for your food with your esports money then you might want to stay on windows 10 somebody somewhere is it's doing true. it right oh, sure absolutely more and more every day but uh but if you're a normal person um like apparently none of us but uh then you can go ahead and upgrade and it'll be fine i've been using it for a week now it's actually been great i haven't seen any hit to performance on free sell whatsoever <laughs> Yeah. My Minesweeper's sweeping yeah. just it as fast. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. You know you know who was slowed down, though, this week? World of Warcraft? I don't know. Leroy nope. Jenkins, specifically. Leroy Jenkins. Leroy Jenkins never slows down. No, he can't. Well, he did now by 4%. <laughs> by 4%. <laughs> the other people could keep up now as they yeah, you chase know, behind It's a much more of a competitive race at this point. All right. Well, good to know. And I did joke at the beginning that, that the girlfriends are the ones that did this, but... There's a lot of female gamers as well, so I wonder if, we, if there's like that much of a phenomenon because it is very predominant among the, the male community to spend all of their waking hours, even unto death, mm -hmm. 
that's no exaggeration. Well, isn't playing the, video games isn't the like number one paid gaming uh, personality on Twitch? It's Pokimane, right? So is it a woman? I have no idea. So. I, don't, I don't play games. Oh well, there yeah. you go. Did we talk about the Twitch? Uh... I know a bunch of divorcees though. <laughs> no, I, I left Twitch off this week. They they had a bit of a breach, but it's Twitch. Nobody cares. So, <laughs> you know, it's funny. You you were talking last week about the epic hack. Mm-hmm. It made that look like nothing. Yeah, they yeah. got like a complete like you could like, basically make your own Twitch now. Twitch. Right? Yeah. yeah, and here's an upcoming product they're going to be launching. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, well, if you're if you're uh, if you were curious coming into this, no, Don is not a gamer apparently, <laughs> <laughs> and he thinks you're all stupid. Oh, yeah. D- he said dumb. He didn't use the word stupid. Don't <laughs> okay. put words in his I'm mouth. I'm more of a tabletop gamer. <laughs> Give me a all 20 right. sided die and a pencil. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, a little backdoors and breaches. That is fun. All right, let's move on now to our next article, which comes to us from MarsTechnica.com. And this is kind of what we were alluding to earlier uh, when talking about FIDO. New Yubico security keys let you use fingerprints instead of password, which sounds like a great idea, except for people like Daniel, who burned off all his fingerprints uh, to avoid Nothing. detection. So what, what's Daniel to do? Toes. I'm done. You got to stick your toe up on the... Well, the I could, every I could try to eat myself into some type 2 diabetes, and that way I could double it up as a DNA and <laughs> blood sugar tester. Wow. I'm trying to solve problems here. You know, I, I know we're talking about UV keys, but now I have to wonder, can you use your toes? Can you use why not? Your toes? Do toes have a valid So print? I have heard of forensics investigations that did discover footprints, okay. and they were able to lift an actual like swirl and whatnot from the bottom of the foot or the side of the foot. And then they were able to match that to the killer. Does, or does anybody have a phone that's still got a fingerprint? I've got well, the face scan. So like yeah, I've got I've a got fingerprint got a reader scan, on my laptop yeah. and that's what I mean. Like legit, yeah. could I use my toe? Right, in the next break, Don will be <laughs> sticking his feet all over his laptop to find out. Like, and what, what toe, get into my, <laughs> which toe do you go with? You got to go with the big one. This is what's funny is Don's going to be somewhere and they're going to be like, Hey, can you look this up? And you're like, yeah, no problem. He starts taking his shoe and sock off. Like what the hell are you doing? Like Maxwell smart with the yeah. shoe phone. Well, like, when the, when the computer's sitting over there on the coffee table and you're you're watching TV, just reach that little yeah, foot just out. Just a little bit over there, we go. Hey, Don, I'm so the Yubico uh, security key uh, lets yes. you do fingerprints <laughs> now. What? I remember that. Is, it, is this new? I thought they did something like All this right, before. All right, so Yubikey's been around a long time. Uh, Yubikey is part, or Yubico, the company, is part of the FIDO Alliance, one of the bigger members. Uh, and so these keys are used for authentication. I use them myself. I have mine right here on my keychain, Oop, which is caught up in my microphone it's cable, so I might not be able to get out. <laughs> it's in your shoe. Um, but yeah, for the viewers, I'm holding my key up right now. So what do you got? Is that the NFC one? Uh, I do have the NFC one, yes. Okay. Um, although I, I rarely use the NFC part of it. So mm. I, I mostly just use it in the USB slot. Sure. Um, Why is but, that a common statement? Uh, you know, because NFC is so inconsistent between devices. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the, the NFC standard yeah. is not applied in a standards method. Uh, either way, the uh, the YubiKey is really cool. It's designed to be something you have, right? And I've had more than once, especially when I'm at home, where I put my key, my keychain on my my dresser, uh, and then I'm in my office. I'm using the computer, and all of a sudden I get prompted. I'm like, oh man, I gotta get off my butt, go to the other room, get my key, come back. It's a lot of effort. I don't want to do that. It's um, like all the way across the room. So you Jeez. will find some people where they leave their key in their computer. Now. You might ask yourself, is that really something you have anymore? It, it sort of is. If somebody's remotely trying to break in, they can't use that key. You have to activate it by touching the button. But if somebody's physically at your system, they now have access to your key. There goes one factor of your authentication. Well, YubiKey or YubiCo is stepping it up a little further with their new key. It has a fingerprint reader on it so that you can leave the key in your computer 
And the only person who can activate it is you, the little button that you press to activate it, which used to just be a capacitive button that anything could tap, now has to be your fingerprint. And this is not a fingerprint reader for your computer. So like Windows or Linux can't use it to read your fingerprint. When you touch your fingerprint to it, your fingerprint is stored, or the fingerprint signature is stored in the key, and that simply unlocks your FIDO key that's then sent, or your U2, U2F key. Would you say it effectively works the same way, though? Like, because, I mean, it basically, if that's how you're logging into your system, is by using the YubiKey, and the YubiKey only unlocks once your fingerprint touches it. You yeah. effectively have turned it into a fingerprint scanner, it's, right? It's kind of like... Um, With more security. Yeah, very similar to what we do with hard drive encryption, where you have like a personal key that unlocks the right. key to decrypt the drive. That's how this is, like a second, a key to unlock a key. Right. Yep. I like it. Yeah, so it's a, it's a neat system. Uh, they have uh, announced plans for two different models, a USB-A and a USB-C model. They have not announced an NFC model, which I'm not broken up over, but I know other people may be waiting for USB-A it. or USB-C? Uh, for me, I'd have to go USB-A. And why is that? Well, Because I would say the same thing. My my desktop and my laptop, they have USB-C ports, yep. but they're used for other things. So I don't usually have an empty USB-C port. But I've always got an empty USB-A See, port. I would say USB-A because I'm going to be pushing on that thing. And USB-A is a little more sturdy uh, in its construction. Yeah. I don't want to destroy the connector. I could see that. That would I, be my thought. I do use an extension cable on my desktop, oh, well, there you go. which is really nice because you can replace yeah, cable. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, you could just have it in like a hub or something too. Yeah. So uh, I did look it up uh, while you guys were talking about things that I didn't understand. And toe prints <laughs> are unique. Uh, so should be no issue why that would not work um, as long as you can, can get the toe, the right part of the toe. Well, don't some people, like if they lose their thumb, they'll actually remove your big toe. and I haven't. I, I went know. to high school with a guy that he was in a car accident and they no did way. that exact procedure. They yeah. moved his big toe to because his Because having thumbs yeah. is a whole lot more useful than having What about big those, toes? those big toes? Toe people from Spy Kids. Do you remember that, Daniel? Have you seen that movie? I don't think so. I think I have seen their, Spy their Kids. whole like head. Or is am a I toe. thinking Lava Girl and Shark Boy? I think or... you might be. Um, <laughs> We've moved in a whole but, new. But when I did of, uh... search for this, I had to I had to scroll a while. But I did come across a great question on Quora. Do phones use magic to read your fingerprint or face ID? Yes. And yet the first answer <laughs> oh, is yes, and also no. Yeah. Yes, right. according to Steve Jobs. No, according to. <laughs> Everyone else. Everyone else. <laughs> Technology. All right. Well, let's uh, kind of stay in the same space here a little bit, but uh, move on to a new article from TheVerge.com. Google is about to turn on two-factor authentication by default for millions of users, and it's reminding you to set up the inactive account manager while you still can. Because I, I get that notification all the time from Google when I go into Gmail, like, you want to set up two-factor now? And I, yep. no, not really. But now I will not have an option. Right. Uh, and, you. and Gregory thanks you. Yeah. <laughs> Gregory? That, I guess Gregory. Oh, oh The right, Russian hacker it. that yep. has taken yeah. over your Gmail account. Sure. So, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> as long as you get, you get my inbox down a little You're bit lower, I don't care. You don't mind sharing, do Whatever you? it takes. <laughs> so Microsoft was in the news uh, a couple of months ago when they announced that you could now go passwordless on a system. You could actually have a Windows account that just did not have a password. It used other forms of authentication. Well, Google is looking to make that same move to enable that functionality. The first step in doing that is enabling two-factor authentication. Well, right now, like Peter said, it's optional for most people. 
Google is looking to roll that out as more of a mandatory thing. They're looking to flip over 150 million people by the end of 2021, which is only two months away. Like this year is going by shockingly fast. What could go wrong? So, um, you know, if you are not using two-factor authentication yet, you really should be. You should probably use it everywhere that you can. Uh, but that is something that's happening. The the other part of this headline, the byline or yeah, the inactive account manager, totally different thing. Okay. Uh, the inactive account manager is if you die, what happens to your account? And so, uh, my fingerprint's say, still out there. You that's can still a really have a good question. When they say set it up while you still can, that means like while you're still alive. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and so, uh, so they basically have this thing where like if you're inactive for three months, you can you can pick and say, hey, shoot me an email or a text, and if I don't respond, yeah. blow it all away, right? Uh, and so it's supposed to be like a dead man switch. Wow. Or dead woman, dead person, dead person, dead person, dead person yeah. switch. Daniel, I give you permission to uh, to go ahead and lop off one of my fingers if uh, if I do pass, so that you can continue to use my YubiKey. What are you doing after the technado? I said after I pass. Oh. You'll have to, I think, microwave it each time because I think you need like some warmth, some warmth to and it. some moisture, like dip yeah. it in a little. What I'll do is I'll try to figure out some sort of electric, you know, pump that will continue to move warm fluids through it. Oh, cool. It. Cool, cool. Yeah, maybe even blood. Yeah, right. you could do that. I find that the little Hot Pocket sleeve, that's perfect, perfect for uh, perfect. reheating a Was it like making an MRE kind of? Yeah. Like yeah. that? Keeps it crispy. There's a guy in Japan that was making <laughs> basically gummy bears that had fingerprints on them and it worked right. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember it was forever ago. It was the Mythbusters where they tried different types of fingerprint scanners where they had some that worked with a you know photocopy yeah and then you know on the, all the way up to where they had to like literally attach something to a finger yeah to their own finger for the warmth and and all that but uh, i like the gone in 60 seconds method where you just have like a latex fingerprint that right goes over your Can own finger and it's very thin so it's just just that level that's layer. the difficult thing. You got to remember whose finger did I use for this? Yeah, <laughs> I got Elvis. Which I'm finger? Not, yeah. <laughs> Can you find? Yeah, is there like a public database of, of celebrity uh, dead celebrity? That finger would be interesting. Oh, if they ever applied to the government, you can get it from yeah. the OPM, right? That was the. Uh... Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, he was in the military. That's right. He was in the he army. In the That's military. right. So there you go. Yeah. Good Call them Chinese hackers. Hey guys. Can... <laughs> I'll look up Elvis for yeah. me. Like, uh, Elvis just tried to get into the building, <laughs> yeah. and I was told he left the building. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, our next one here is actually something that was sent in to us, so we've got some listener mail. You've got mail. All right, we want to thank Laura for sending this one in. And Laura, since we're covering it, we're going to send a T-shirt your way, a Technado T-shirt and sticker pack. So uh, be on the lookout for that. But this comes to us from Hackaday.com. Atari ST still manages campground reservations after 36 years. And I was telling you guys beforehand, I mean, I, uh, my, my brother and I had like a VIC-20 and a Commodore 64 as a kid. I didn't realize Atari was even making... Uh, computers, but bunch of stuff. Apparently, they made really good computers because 36 years later, this <laughs> is still going. You know, computers back in the 1980s were built to a whole different level. Uh, you know, like the old IBM, yep. the the uh, uh, the PS2s, where they had like the, the sheet of metal on the bottom of the keyboard, and and the cases were full on thick steel. And like they were just, wondering, like people aren't buying extras of these. Yeah. We should make them crappy. Yeah, and they only sold them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this guy had uh, had actually bought an Atari ST back in 1985. He ran a campground and had written his own custom software for it to manage the bookings at the campground. And it worked. 
and it continued to work, and it still works today, 36 years later, where if you call this campground and go to book a, uh, a, a lot or cabin or whatever it is that he's got at the <laughs> campground, um, he actually pulls it right up on the computer and is able to do it. Uh, he says the only change he's had to make to it over the years was adding USB storage because you can't get floppy disks anymore. So he you know, had no way to get data mm. off of it. But he's able to book reservations, print out information. He has a full map of the campground that's all in there. It's really quite impressive. And it is the, if it's not broke, don't fix it type mentality. Uh, this thing's run like a champ. Is the is the computer in the keyboard like like the Commodore sixty fours and those because the the size of the computer there? I mean, it looks like he's got the original Atari monitor in the picture. Yeah, yeah. So it I, I don't it is, yeah. the the Atari STs that I've seen had color monitors. His is monochrome, so I don't know if this is the. I mean, maybe it was. If he bought it in nineteen eighty five, then yeah. monochrome was pretty standard. I think he uh, said that he did. This was the original monitor that came with it. If okay. I'm not mistaken. But the, the computer is in the keyboard, very similar to yes. like the, the Commodores. Yep. You know what he should do is he should like someone, I don't know if you guys watch any of those uh, like restoration videos. Yeah. I'm completely addicted to that. It's super awesome. And there's this one uh, channel where they will take like old and yellowed Super Nintendos and stuff and they'll restore them back to yeah, like this thing is This thing is like Somebody needs to reach yellow. out to this gentleman and say, I'm going to restore your Atari back to like new condition. But he's like, I got to take reservations this week. Oh, well, come on. Have man. you I mean, uh, it for a day or two? Have you heard of Retrobrite? Yeah. So this is the kind of thing that does that, right? That's the chemical. You can right. you can put it on the old plastics and it turns them back to white again. Like uh, they used I've to seen be. them. Yeah. They, they basically will take all the plastic bits off uh-huh. and put them into a peroxide bath hydrogen peroxide and then that's all covered in like foil with leds lining around huh. it and that will rewhite yeah the leds have an impact super, so this is the same kind of technology that uses people for whitening their teeth yeah. oh, okay right so you make a hydrogen peroxide paste you have a, a uv led light that goes in your mouth but they just started applying it to doing this so they have my, a reflective surface and boom my understanding is once you treat the device though it yellows a lot faster than oh, it did the really? first time and so not only do you have to treat it with that but once you're done you then have to seal it so there's a, a separate mm. compound you can put on to actually seal it and gotcha. keep it that way but um, I, I have a PlayStation 1 yeah. uh, which is the one I got back when they came out forever <laughs> yeah. ago and it's, it started to get kind of dingy something. so uh, I was thinking about sending it off and, and they were saying like, oh for 40 bucks extra we can we'll actually seal it. seal it and so you said hell yes. Uh, I haven't done. It. I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, but I have. You know you are. I, I, I want to. I know because you're to. <laughs> Don, you were saying you looked up this computer on on eBay. How much? Or yeah. how much were they running? I, I was surprised that they're going for like four to five hundred dollars, which is a little high for uh, a piece of retro computing. Uh, but I was surprised to see that like three out of the five listings were from the Netherlands. So they, they must have been really popular. I, over I told there. you last week, my uh, friend of mine. He bought a bunch of old computer stuff from an estate sale for like $87. He sold a keyboard, just the keyboard, for 1400 bucks. Yeah. So there you go. People have fond memories. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> or you have an old system that's still in place and the keyboard don't work no more. <laughs> <laughs> and now money is no object. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, thank you so much to Laura for sending this in. There's actually an article or a, a video in the article that you can watch and he kind of shows uh, a little bit of it. So, uh, I mean... He's he's working at a standing desk, but that's really low, and it's not very ergonomic. You but. know, he must he must take really good care of it. Like when he's done at the end of the day, he probably turns it off and puts the dust cover over oh, it. Oh yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> he probably does. <laughs> he's yeah. like, oh my baby, you live forever. <laughs> hey, it's it's powering the whole business, so uh, I guess I guess that works. All right, well, let's take a look and uh, see this week who got pwned. 
Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. Yeah! All right, this one comes to us from vice.com. Company that routes billions of text messages quietly says it was hacked. Uh, it's, what is it? Cineverse handles billions of text messages a year, and hackers had unauthorized access to its systems for years. So when this says handles and, and routes text messages, mm-hmm. so, I mean, I, I always assumed, you know, if I'm on Verizon, you know, it, it goes from Verizon, and they hand it off to AT&T, and that's it. But is this, uh, and how wrong am I and how that no, works? Uh, so it, they they can do that. Yes, the, the big providers, AT&T okay. and Verizon, you know, they're, they're interconnected. But there are thousands of phone providers all across the world. So even here in the U.S., you know, you have the Boost Mobiles and and people like that. The you know the smaller uh, and regional providers. What was the one that we had? Was Altel that was here Altel for so a long here, time? Yeah. Just kind of regional. Uh, so those providers aren't big enough to establish connections to each of the other major carriers for the handing off of text messages. And so that's where companies like Cineverse come in. And I I shouldn't say companies, there's not many of them. Uh, Cineverse is one of those companies that you may never have heard of, but you've probably used many, many times. behind the scenes. All behind the scenes. So these guys are handling text messages. Now, in the past, I know I've played off text messages as not being important because what is it, like 90% of them are sent by high school kids and it's just dumb stuff and nobody cares. But fast forward to today's world and you've got multi-factor authentication. People are sending dual factor authentication codes via text messages all the time. If somebody were able to compromise the routing system for text messages, they could bypass two-factor authentication for anyone. And that's exactly what's happened here. Cineverse was breached. And an unknown actor, very likely state-sponsored because it was a fairly sophisticated attack. Nicholas Cage. <laughs> was a, it may have been Nicholas Cage. An unknown actor. And uh, <laughs> he was able to, uh, in addition to having his face replaced, uh, <laughs> be able to be, basically monitor communications, uh, the calls that people made, the or, well, not necessarily calls, because uh, this is text messages, right? So who you were messaging, when you messaged them, your location when messaging, and the contents of the text messages. So pretty big deal. And Daniel, the uh, the, the one thing in here that made me think of you, hmm. you said this before, like what's the average time to detection for a breach? 200 days. 200 days. That's a long time, that's right? A, that's a hot minute right there. That's, yeah. was that eight months? Nine. Nine, nine months. You could have a baby <laughs> in the time it takes for most companies to realize they've been breached. Well, Cineverse was absolutely on top of it because this breach only went undetected for five years. Oh, what? So, so that brings that average up. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, kind of yeah. raises the bar just slightly. Wrecks the bell curve there. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they found this one in May. We're hearing about it now in October, which is awesome also. Uh, so, you know, really interesting. And the way this was disclosed was in a very quiet announcement to the SEC, not... To the people not or customers a, hey, or governments. but the, bad. Because yeah. this is not a, a company in, in Great Britain. What is they did why? was they yeah. sent a... Um, they sent a marketing flyer out, and in the email signature, it was, oh, by the way, we got hacked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. You know, do, do they go to GDPR and go, so, you know, you've got a r- report in this amount of time, but are you grandfathered in if you've been hacked this whole time? <laughs> GDPR? This is, seems, seems reasonable. It's not a new hack. Yeah. yeah. This hack's been a hot. I've been around. Now, they've, uh, they've come out and said that only 235 of its customers were affected, uh, which tells me two things. I mean, either one, it's a bull-faced lie. I suppose that's possible, well, right? if your customer is um, AT&T. Or, <laughs> I, I which is what it that. says, right. T-Mobile, Verizon. 
Okay, all right. So if you think of it that way, <laughs> yeah. then all right, maybe that's more plausible. I was thinking, look, let's say this is real, though, right? Yeah. So they, they they handle traffic for millions of people, and only two hundred thirty-five. Let's assume it's people, right? Mm. That would indicate this was highly targeted, Very right? Much so. Almost guaranteed to be state sponsored. Uh, if a government wants to find out what a journalist is doing or compromise their account, they love that. By the way, yeah, this, we did, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah in the last couple of weeks with uh, NSO was at the UA, yeah. UAE and, and all that. Yep. So now they know which emojis, you know, Tucker Carlson <laughs> is is using. See, it's funny. People always talk about like, ah, if you look at my data, big deal, man. I'm not doing anything that. Uh, what's your kink? What's your weird stuff that you're doing on the internet that you don't tell anybody? How much money do you make? Yeah. Oh, all of a sudden, privacy. Oh, hold Whoop, on. Wait, you, didn't, uh, you didn't say that. So, yeah. you know, I, I know I've come out and said before, like, people that are worried about SIM card swapping attacks, yeah. that's really difficult to do. <laughs> and if somebody's willing to put that effort into to doing a SIM swap on my phone number, I likely couldn't stop them anyway because they're a level of sophistication beyond what I'm going to have. But this type of attack right here shows why you shouldn't use text messages for your for your multi-factor authentication. Right. How many authenticators are out there, Don? And there's a lot, yeah, and, and the code generators are, are far superior, in my yeah. opinion. Yep. You know, I, it makes me think about when people will be like, they'll send you an email and say, "Hey, hey, call me with that credit card number. I don't want to put it in email." Is that is that safer? Well, I mean, well, depends. So it depends on what they're doing on the other end. If they've got a post-it notepad and they're writing down the number you're reading off to them, then no, but you not, just tell them to the F call off. being intercepted <laughs> or, you know, like it, it's, so it sounds like it's not better to say, well, let me just text you that. Yeah. I don't want to do that. How about, here's what you should do. I'm going to call you with the first four numbers. I'm going to text you the second four. <laughs> I've sent a letter that has yeah. the, uh, the yeah, expiration yeah. Certified month. courier. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's joking, but. That, that would totally be that secure. Would, that's yeah. the way to do it. Yeah. yeah. Or is it called, um, some people do this with like their, the root CA certificates or whatever, where they break it up and store it in multiple places. Oh. Uh, it's got a name. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, but I, I, you did make me think, like, it is pretty easy to implement PGP privacy or GPG, mm -hmm. uh, the, the free open source version of that. You could put all that information in a text file and then lock that up using someone's public key, and then only they could decrypt that stuff. Send that through an email. I want to drop it in the metadata of a right. photo. <laughs> yeah. Encrypted. Send you that photo. A photo yeah. actually has, I'm using Stego. I'm using Snow and yeah, Steghide. This, this picture of my dog. Yes. Inside of that is my another picture. What does a Stegosaurus have to do with your security? <laughs> Donnie, you looking up the name of that? Uh... I am. I'm trying to find it. I can't find it fast enough, though. It's, it, it is an actual standard. Uh, yeah. like they, people I, use it to store really secure keys. I don't keys. do secure stuff. Yeah. <laughs> If you use a, if you send a picture of your dog, that's the FIDO standard, right? Yeah, it's FIDO. It, it's got a name like Partitions Secure Storage or something, Before. something like that. It'll come to you as soon as we finish the filming. As soon as the podcast is over. Yep. All right. Well, if you think of it, uh, go ahead and bring it up. But let's move on to our final article for the day, which is part of our Behind Bars segment. Break the law, and you'll go to jail. Definitely. All right, uh, so. this comes to us from bleepingcomputer.com. Bank of America Insider charged with money laundering for BEC scams. <laughs> so what is... <laughs> yeah, a, that's what it is. Anytime they get it. Big I'm point and laugh. Big, big fan of that. All right, what, what is a BEC scam? Because I, I haven't heard that term sure. before. Uh, so it's actually really common and something you should be aware of. BEC is business email compromise. Ah. So... 
it's a oh I've been involved in lots of those. (laughs) So it's a uh, it's a very common type of attack these days. But it's, it requires a level of dedication and patience that most attackers just don't have. That's why ransomware is so popular. Uh, but with a BEC, an outside unauthorized individual somehow manages to get access to the email account, usually of somebody in the accounting department, an organization. And then they do this crazy thing, which is they wait and patiently read emails over time. And when I say over time, this might be months or and five years, apparently. <laughs> what they're looking for are emails where you are initiating some kind of wire transfer or ACH, you know, where you're moving money from one bank account to another. They learn the frequency that those happen. If it's on a schedule, they want to know what that schedule is, the format of the email, who it's from, who it's to. And once they've gathered all of that information, they can know when the next transfer should occur. And they can forge an email. And since they have access to your mailbox, they can actually create the forged email and drop it right into your mailbox, bypassing all email authentication. And now you see an email that looks legit, that matches the format you're used to, is from the person it's normally from, that's around the same time that it should be. But the bank routing number has been changed to send the money to a different account. That's a business email compromise. It requires incredible patience. But it's fairly effective, and there's a, a number of attackers that have been known to use this. Yeah, the payoff could be way higher than you know a couple uh, well, how, iTunes gift cards. How long did these guys? How much money did they make? Uh, they, you know, this one was actually fairly small. It was 1.1 million uh, In five years? over. What well, it, it wasn't five years, right? There were five oh, victims. I think it was over a very short period of time, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it oh, it was a 2018 trans- to 2020, so two years, they made $1.1 million. Yeah, one of the transactions alone was three, over $350,000. So. And I, I've heard of people where like, they go to their closing for their mortgage, mm. and so they're transferring all the money to pay for a house, and the routing number got changed, and it just goes... It's gone. And it's gone, yeah. And, and so there's, there's various things that law enforcement can do to try and pull back those funds, but a lot of times it's transferred out of the country very quick. <sighs> My favorite part of this article, though, was they explained the role of the three individuals. And you know, a lot of people wonder, like, how do they actually do this and get away with it? Well, it took three people to do it. The, the first one was actually an employee of Bank of America and TD Bank, so an insider. And he was setting up fraudulent accounts under the names of their victims. So the victim had a legitimate account. They would create a fraudulent account with the same name. Right Then... The money would get transferred into that account. A second individual was responsible for laundering the money, moving the account, moving the money out of those accounts mm. into other accounts to kind of remove traceability. And then the third person would actually go to ATMs and withdraw cash. And the cash was then distributed amongst the three of them as, uh, as part of this. So these guys really thought it out. I, I mean, obviously not all the way because they did get caught. Uh, so they, they have been arrested. That. And, and well, they got caught that. because the first guy went back and he removed the ATM feeds from the third guy. <laughs> yeah. Those ATM fees will get you. you know, yeah, that, that's highway robbery. They'll right play there. around when it comes to their ATM fees. Yeah. Right? yeah. That guy should be indicted, whoever came up with that. Well, this, this is obviously a mistake here. I see ATM fees being removed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't do that. No. It's not a thing we do. If anything, I'd double them. So the... Uh, the Bank of America Insider is facing up to 52 years of prison. Whoa. The other two are facing up to 20 years. So it is good to see somebody actually. Because yeah. he took pay. the money and then the other people laundering is, is, yeah. a, is a lesser offense. Is this offense considered and, a white collar crime where they're going to go to some like uh, club fed 
joint? I would hope Probably, so. Yeah. yeah. You stick this guy in with a bunch of like hardcore criminals. Probably <laughs> like not office space. Yeah, right? federal yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. prison. Yeah. I'm not going to say it. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. prison. 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 Yes, we'll start calling it for that from now on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Mm, mm, you know what I'm talking about. You are a very bad person. <laughs> very bad man. I love when they get when they have the guy selling candy and or selling magazines. Yeah, magazine subscriptions. Like, what do you know about laundering money? He's like, look, man, I work at it in a te- or penetrode. Intertrode. Yeah, intertrode. All right. I didn't just make that. That's what they called it too. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, hey, a couple hey. big things happening really soon. First of all, today, uh, this afternoon, evening, depending on where you are, at 5 o'clock uh, U.S. Eastern Time, we're doing a panel discussion live on YouTube Live about the dirty little secrets of cybersecurity, talking about careers and, and uh, you know, the, the things that maybe you don't hear about all the time, the, the good, bad, and the ugly. Daniel is one of the panelists. Uh, Don is the moderator. Uh, we've got uh, John Hammond, who's uh, been a Technado guest, also uh, from Huntress, probably more known for the Technado, um, really <laughs> successful YouTube channel as well. We've got Ben Fink from On Demand or On Defend, excuse me, uh, who is you know been in in that world as a pen tester, red teamer. He's smart. He's a smart dude. Yeah. Um, so you know we get a couple of cool perspectives and Daniels uh, on that. Uh, so head over to the IT Pro TV YouTube channel and you can see the uh, uh, the live. Uh, feed over there. You can also head over to go.itpro.tv slash dirty and you can enter to win because obviously we can't get names out of YouTube that are real yeah. and we're giving away uh, some Hack 5 gift cards, uh, some IT Pro TV swag and stuff like that. So uh, definitely check that out. And just checking cool again, one. I am not eligible still. Still not eligible. Okay. But uh, I feel like I, I mean, as a red teamer, no my process. Note my protest. What was that done? <laughs> Hack 5 makes cool stuff. They, they kind of do. They really do, yeah. Uh, all right, also have a webinar coming up really soon, uh, also with Daniel. It's, a, it's big time for Daniel right now. Uh, head over to itpro.tv slash webinars where you can register. It's called Cybersecurity Incident Response for Small to Mid-Side Businesses, Avoiding the Nightmare on Main Street. And this is our Halloween spooky-themed webinar Ooh. on Thursday, October 28th, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. We're going to have a lot of fun with that. Um, with, but we're also going to you know, share some actual information. Don's going to raise the dead. Is Don I, on this? I am an amateur necromancer. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I knew you dabbled in the dark. I'm sorry, what was so. that term? <laughs> necromancer? Necromancer. necromancer. Right. Yes. Different kind of necro. But. Now we just need a dead body. Hmm. Uh, I also so accept Peter, uh, reanimator. You meet me behind the... Uh, <laughs> Remember, I told you, you can have my finger right. only if you don't kill me. If ah. you're not, if you're the one that kills me, hey, you, you don't get Here come the finger. qualifiers, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. I know. You do right. not get my finger. All right. Also, uh, go ahead and go ahead and head over to technado.com. Uh, you can send us in listener mail like Laura did and, uh, and get talked about on the show and get some free swag. Uh, you can see all the latest episodes. You can also click the big orange button that says sponsored by IT Pro TV to go ahead and get 30% off the lifetime of your personal plan i think there's a graphic up daniel so they can't see you showing off your cool shirt but <laughs> that that url there um you can also request a team trial and you can see all the cool features available for teams like the brand new uh user interface on the pro portal uh which is available there as well so head over to technado.com and you can find all the links to that all right uh, again want to thank ramesh uh for joining us a lot of cool articles today i i know i'm going to get on ebay and and purchase an old atari uh, computer now and TRS-80. Yeah. Have some real fun. And then realize I have no idea how to use something with a command line only. <laughs> this, 
This is weird. <laughs> yeah, this, this is foreign to Computer. me. Computer. Yeah. How do I play solitaire they, on this? They left the mouse out of the box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a rip off. Yeah, you got to buy a like, Bluetooth one? Is that how they yeah, <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, guys. And thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next week right here on Technado with Don Pizzette.